Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, gang, you know, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Bet Online has you covered all the news, scores, and the odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. You head to the website, betonline.ag, or you use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, welcome back, gang. Mike and Mark here with you. And Mark, we have a member of a big-time baseball family. Brett Boone carved out an all-star career of his own following his father and his grandfather into the big leagues. Mike, you think about the, the th- third generation of players, and he has the ability to have a fourth. His son, Jacob, is in the minor leagues for the Washington Nationals. But when you look at Brett Boone and his career, he went through struggles early in his career but became an all-star in that prototypical second baseman that offensively had some very big years. Brett, 14 seasons, five teams, three-time All-Star. You got gold gloves, silver sluggers, a lot on your resume, but what do you consider to be your signature moment in the game? Man, you know, I, I've been asked that question a lot of times, and uh, I, I, I have a tough ta- time pinning down that signature moment because I, I more had signature years or signature events that that always didn't include just me. I, I think a couple uh, times where I really, that stood out to me is uh, first time I was in the World Series at Yankee Stadium. And I remember warming up on the line like we always do. And for some reason, I think it was game three. And I'd played in Yankee Stadium a lot of times. And that time was different where I kind of had a surreal moment where I looked around and said, I'm, I'm somewhere pretty special. Uh, that was one getting called up for the first time because such was made of this third generation and it had never been done before. And that was kind of a, a moment for me because my grandfather, who was so important in my life, got to be, the, be a part of that. Like I said, I've been a, lot of, a part of a lot of great events and some great teams. I, I, I think the one thing that really stands out is the all-star game and in 2001, uh, I was up in Seattle. We had eight guys on that team. I think five or six were in the starting lineup. And I got to play, I, I got to participate in my first home run derby, which uh, I, I'm not very good at, but the fact that I got asked and, and I got to do it and in my home, in my home city and a kind of a magical year for us that year, I, I was announced. And, uh, you know, as it, we're lucky as players to occasionally get a standing ovation or have to tip our cap uh, in a big moment. It, they don't come along too often, but I remember the standing ovation I got just for the home run derby was one of those moments that uh, I'll just always remember. And not, that, not too many things affect me on that field. And uh, that moment, man, I got chills and goosebumps and I said this is for real and uh so that stood out I know nothing too exciting but uh you know those are the things that come to mind no they're all exciting and I think one of the interesting ones you pointed out was your call up August 1992 and as everyone knows I mean it's in the bloodline it's almost an expectation and I would imagine that might come with some pressure there but you get the call do you remember how that went down who told you and who you called right away cool story yeah, I uh, I was in I was in Calgary. I was having a real good year. You know, it was kind of imminent. Mariners were were not winning. Uh, 
kind of the writing was on the wall that I was going to be the heir apparent second baseman. It was just when I was figuring September. And I remember I got a base hit to right field. I rounded a bag and I come back, you know, to just a base hit. And uh, I, I forget who the player was, but he came out and he said, Booney, I'm running for you. And I said, no, you're not. He said, yeah, I am. I said, he said, Skipper wanted me to run for you. I said, I'm not coming out of the game. And back then, you got to realize Brett Boone <laughs> at 21, 22 years old, you couldn't tell me anything because I, I was going to let you know. I knew everything, <laughs> according to me. Uh, and the next thing I know is the skipper's coming out of the dugout. And he, his name was Keith Bodian. He's an old New York guy, tough guy. And we had had some battles that year. Uh, and he says, uh, when I tell you to come out of the game, you, you, you get your ass out of the game. And I said, I don't care what you say. I'm not coming out of the game. He said, you didn't hustle to first base, you know, and bleep, bleep, bleep the hell I didn't. I throw my helmet and, uh, he, you know, we're getting, we're getting nose to nose. Like we're going to fight on the field and I'm pissed. I'd have no idea what's going on. I walk in the dugout. This is BS. Da -da 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 -da. And Bodie walks up to me, almost spitting in my face. And he goes, you're going to the big leagues. And I just went, what? <laughs> it was the greatest setup I, I, I've ever seen. And next thing I know, some cameras pop out from behind the dugout, follow me off the field. It's almost like I was on a magic carpet. Like, what the hell is going on? And it was a real cool thing. Uh, I went home, called my mom and dad and grandpa, of course, told them I was going to Baltimore the next day. And uh, I didn't sleep. I played solitaire all night because I couldn't sleep. I was like, this is too cool. This is too cool. I remember my first first class flight and I'm sitting up front and I'm just waiting for people to ask me what's going on. Hey, hey, kid, what are you doing? Where are you headed? I'm going to the big leagues. Oh, for real. Where you? I'm telling you, I'm going to the big leagues. You want to come to the game tomorrow? And uh, it was a cool moment. Cool moment. And Brett, when you think about it too, uh, I, I think that lead up going into uh, your expectation was, hey, I'm going to get there in September, but it happens earlier. You're taking that flight. Right. Um, everyone in baseball is probably thinking this is the third generation. Your gra grandfather, Ray, played. Your your successful all-star dad and, and Bob played. Now you're starting to get that opportunity. Was that a thought even going into that first game? Not at all. Not at all. It was, uh, you know, at that point I was kind of, I was getting a little bit of resentment, you know, cause I was in the, I was in, uh, I was in the minor leagues and it seemed like, you know, I, I knew the questions came with, with who my dad was and who my grandfather was, but I was kind of getting sick of it at this point. You know, everything was about, well, or there's, there's big expectations. And I was kind of, you know, at that point where I don't really screw my dad and my grandfather, I love them to death, but this is about me. You know, look at what I'm hitting. And um, so, no, I, I really didn't. Like I said, Swain, and, and we all have that first day when we get called up and it's kind of a surreal moment for all of us. And, and I just remember getting in the ballpark, doing a press conference. Next thing you know, I'm hitting a little BP and I'm out there and uh, my first at bat and, and my first at bats against Arthur Rhodes who my first minor league at bat was against Arthur Rhodes. Wow. And so that was kind of unique. And, uh, First at bat, I smoke one up the middle for a knock and a ribby. I got the first base, and I can't remember who the first baseman was, but he said 2,999 to go. And I kind of looked at him and said, 
Thank you, sir. But in my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to get a hell of a lot more hits than 3,000. <laughs> fast, fast forward a little bit when reality hit, go, man, the big leagues is really hard. But, but it was cool. And, and those are times I can look back on it and really laugh at, like, how much I, I had to learn. But uh, definitely a cool moment. Uh, Boney also, I mean, there's people that realize, I mean, third generation, and and I don't want to minimize this too, but there's not a lot of people that can ask, ask for advice. Uh, not only your dad, but your grandfather going into your first opportunity at the big leagues. Do you remember any uh, tip of advice that, that both of them gave you? Uh, you know, growing up, I was in a pretty cool, uh, you know, I had pretty cool uh grandpa a pretty cool dad and a pretty cool grandpa you know as as much as experience as they had and and they were who they were uh man there there wasn't too much of that going on it was we support you there was not much tutelage there was not much teaching in my house growing up it was basically here's the venue i hope you love playing baseball and, and i was just one of those kids my whole life that i was just that baseball rat you know and i and i talk about it often if I couldn't find somebody to play catch with by the end of the day, if I had worn every, every one of my connections out, I was that guy throwing the tennis ball against the garage door and, until I got called in and said, Brett, you got to go to bed. So that was just my whole life. And, and uh, they, they were hands off. They just left me alone and supported me. And, uh, you know, the, the, the advice came after I was there. And Gramps was a tough one. I remember you know, he was born and raised and lived his whole life in San Diego and, and coming to the play the Padres after a game, I'd have that, you know, 20, 30 people, all my aunts and uncles and Gramps would always sit in the back and I'd be last because he was the special guy I had to go to. And it doesn't matter the game, Swain. It was three for four, two run. Ah, sorry about this. My camera keeps on. Uh, I could be three for four with a two run homer and Gramps first question. And what happened that fourth at bat? Gramps, you know, guys throwing a pretty good slider. I wasn't picking up the rotation. Well, you you can't be swinging at that pitch, son. (laughs) (laughs) You know, whereas whereas we had that relationship and it was cool. Gramps was from a different generation and he was just a proud grandpa. But from a dad, my dad's uh, point, uh, dad and myself were were kind of coach player during my career. I mean, we had a real unique um relationship and and he was what i appreciate about my father is he was able to take off that dad hat and be coach and i was student and we'd work really good together really professional together and then afterwards we could take our uni off go have dinner and he's a pain in the ass father just like everybody else (laughs) but uh we we had a really cool relationship let's go back to 92 that first year for you you got griffey on that team edgar martinez tino uh, Omar Vizquel, Bones, Jay Buhner on that team. Um, anybody particularly influential take you under their wing? Uh, Bone, definitely. Uh, you know, Jay, it, it, was, it was some, it was some uh, tough love from Buhner. Buhner would scold me, make me, you know, make me carry all the equipment, do this, do that. He'd cut my, he'd cut the sleeves off my, my, sports coat on the road he'd cut all the buttons off my my shirt so now I got to wear a shirt and no buttons and it's open we get to the next city he'd take me to dinner he'd take me buy me a new suit he gave me he gave me his condo uh for my first two months in the big leagues 
I'd go to pay the bills. He'd rip them up. He paid them for me. So Jay was really a instrumental in, in kind of teaching me the ropes early on in my career. And then there were guys like Griffey, you know, junior, the thing you don't know about junior is he was, we were peers. We were the same age, but it seemed like he was a father figure because he'd been in the big leagues for three years already. And he was kind of, he was, he was helpful for me at, 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 you know, the first month, month and a half where I really was struggling. He'd sit me down on the side and just say, Hey, you know, give me little pointers here and there. So uh, my first call was rough. Uh, I, I struggled quite a bit, which I didn't expect. Um, but definitely, uh, yeah, I'd have to go with Bone was my first, was the guy that took care of me. I think those struggles are, are important to go through too, especially when you're, you're rattling through the minor leagues, probably not struggling at all, earning that opportunity. Right. Uh, you mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, I think that's the one that really relates to what you're going through with a dad that played before, Ken Griffey Sr. Um, but playing with Ken Griffey Jr., I know myself, I'll say it, that's, that's the prettiest swing I have ever seen in the game of baseball. What was it like being around Ken Griffey Jr.? It's different. Like uh, I, I almost, you know, I, I've never been in the NBA, but I, I'd be, I'd assume what it's like being around a, a Michael Jordan or a, or a Kobe Bryant, just or a LeBron James, just kind of a different level. You know, the rest of us are really good baseball players, and and we're busting our butt to, <laughs> to survive. And and Kenny just was a different guy. Like he could fall, he could tell you what he was going to do and do it. And, you know, back to bone, Buner would tell me, he said, when do you see this clown play? He, he does stuff that you're just going to start shaking your head. I remember he hit home. I think Don Mattingly, I, I forget whether it's seven or eight home runs uh, in a row, consecutive evenings. And Kenny had four. And, you know, I'm just a rookie trying to trying to survive. And I said, Kenny, you're going to you're going to break the record, you know, Mattingly's record. He said, no, I'm going to tie it. I said, okay, you're going to tie it. He goes, yeah. Okay. So he hits a homer that night. Now it's five in a row. Hits a homer the next night, six in a row. I said, uh, you're going to break his record. He goes, I told you before, I'm going to tie it. I think it was seven. That night he hits the first pitch in the upper deck, wrapped it around the foul pole to tie the record. Next day I ask him again, you're going to break the record. He says, no, I told you I was going to tie it. First at bat, he hits a ball off the top of the wall for a double, does not homer. And I just went, that's it. He's a, he's a freak. This guy's a freak. This guy's pretty, he's, he's like a witch. He's telling us what's going to happen. Pretty awesome. That is spectacular. Hey, uh, Booney, the, the one question I want to ask is because you go, you already talked about your first hit in that first at bat. Uh, uh, you took a two Oh swing. I remember uh, you weren't trying to hit for the, the single. I do want to hear about that first home run though, because that really is a moment that, I think you'll always cherish as well. What do you remember from your first home run? I think the guy's name was Gardner. I was in Boston. Uh, the last thing I thought was going to happen is kind of a hanging breaking ball that I was out on my front foot and just kind of kept going and hit it with, whoa, okay, I think that's going out of the yard. And uh, that's all I remember. Back then, it, it was Fenway, and that's when they still had the net. So, of course, the guys do what they always do. You know, I, I'm playing it cool. Like, yeah, that's my first homer. I'm going to hit, you know, five, six hundred of those. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and, and they said, well, Booney, you know, we couldn't find your ball 
you know, it, it got stuck in the net and something happened and somebody got a hold of it. So sorry, you're, we're just going to, maybe your second home run will be a cool ball for you to have, you know, and I'm playing it off. Like, hey, no big deal. I don't need that homer, but I'm thinking, where's that ball? So I'm watching the tape after the game. I'm like, it's in the net. I see somebody kind of reaching around to get it. And uh, they ended up getting me the ball, you know, but uh, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's been so long, but, but uh, you know, I do kind of remember it a little bit and, and, and I remember, oh, I remember this. I got the tape. This is back in, you know, this is 1992. We don't have access to the internet where we can just download our, our home run. So I remember I ended up getting a hold of the tape and I think Joe Morgan was doing the game. And I remember him saying, well, for a little guy, he's probably not going to hit many homers. And I'm just sitting there thinking, Joe, you're like five, six, right. two, 200 and what, what are you, the only little guy that can do it? But I do remember that. Oh, that's fantastic. Hey, you know what? You made it interesting for you. said when you were called up, you kind of were working on the assumption that you were the heir apparent. But then a couple yeah. of years into your tenure there in Seattle, after the 93 season, you're flipped to the Reds in a trade. Was that shocking to you? How did, how did you process that? Not at all. Not at all. I, you know, I was from the... Uh, my thought process was I, I wasn't offended by getting traded. I just looked at, no, somebody else wants me. Uh, so I remember I got the phone call. I, I, I definitely was surprised a little bit. 93 is kind of, I established myself the second half of that season. And uh, Lou Pinello was my skipper. We were on really good terms. He said, son, you're going to be here for the next 15 years. <laughs> and then I get traded. But, but it was, we had a plethora of infielders in Seattle at that time. And uh, Dave Valley was our catcher. And we needed a young catcher uh, in Seattle. And, and it just so happens Dan Wilson, who, who was a teammate of mine on the USA team a couple of years earlier, uh, was the Reds' number one pick a couple of years earlier. And, and you know how the money is in the game now. They said, you know, we don't want to pick up a lot of money in Cincinnati. We want a young player. And it just so happens that I was the guy. And Dan Wilson and myself flip-flopped. And, uh, you know, years later, we end up being teammates in Seattle in 01 you know 01 to 05 but uh that's what I remember about it and and I went since the only thing you think as a young player is you know I've kind of established myself here in a city man it seems like I've got to redo that again and I went to Cincinnati and and uh that was the case but but I had a I had a great run in Cincinnati for for five years and then moved on from there uh, Booney, what do you remember uh, feeling that moment where you're, you're in Cincinnati and you're like, hey, man, you know what? Now I'm hitting my stride. This is the type of player that I want to be. Do you remember it when, it when when that happened? I remember 94. You know, I had a real good year, and I, I think I hit I hit 320 that year, and that was a stro- uh, strike-shortened season. And I kind of didn't want it to end, and it ended up, you know, ending that year. Uh but yeah, I, I thought I had arrived. Okay, now I've got it going. 95, I had a pretty good year. Got to go to my first postseason. And then baseball hits. And and those, you know, those pitchers start making an adjustment to you. Uh, and ni- second half of 96 and all of 97 was a real struggle for me. I, I mean, you ch- all you got to do is flip over my bubblegum card and see those numbers. Um, and I had some real tough times. I mean, I had some come to God moments after those games. You know, sweet, you could probably relate to it, being yep. in those tunnels, just looking around going, what happened? Why can't I hit anymore? Uh, so I, I had that moment, really got knocked on my butt offensively and had to revamp. And that's when I called dad and, and dad and myself had an entire offseason of revamping my swing. And I come back in 98 and have a good, 
a real good year. But uh, there was a lot of trial and error, a lot of a lot of humble pie along the way. But I think you you mentioned in the opening, these are the things that make us better to, to get our butt kicked for a while. It 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 kind of shows what you're made of, and and uh, I definitely have my times, and and you know it's it's cool now for us as parents to watch our our kids and and be able to give them those those stories. Like it wasn't all easy for for me, you know. Just check this out. I w- I went through this this, and, and I have real life uh, experiences with that. So so when I talk, Jacob, my son will listen. Speaking of experiences, I I think uh, a lot of our listeners would understand. Uh, not only are you a brother of the Yankees manager, but you had an opportunity to play with your brother, your younger brother, in Cincinnati. Uh, what was that like? What do you remember uh, putting on that same uniform as him? That's a, that's another thing. You look back, it was I believe it was the 98 season where we played a, a good amount of games in, in Cincinnati. And if anybody that knows Aaron and myself, we're kind of we're kind of oil and water. We're, right. we're different. We get along really well, but we're polar opposites from a personality standpoint. Aaron was a young player. And uh, I really, I look at that year and it it was very, when we, when we walked in the front doors of that clubhouse, it wasn't a brother relationship. It was, that's my third baseman. You better give me the ball early. Try to give me a pretty good feed on this double play. And I really didn't think of Aaron as my brother. Once the bell rang, it was now that's my third baseman. Nice play. Way to go. Uh, once again, off the field, we got to spend a little time together and we could be brothers, but looking back at that 98 season, there are certain things you look back, back at in your career, you know, and I tell young players nowadays, they say, what, what would you do different? I said, I'd take a little more time to stop, look around and enjoy what I get to do for a living. Cause I think as players, and, and it's not from an arrogant perspective, but I think we take for granted the big league uniform because that's what we do and and it's such a stressful situation it's about who we're facing tomorrow who we're facing the next day my swing isn't right I got to fix my swing but I got Pedro and Clemens coming up so we don't take the time to look around you know later in my career I did I'd be at Fenway Park during a day game or Wrigley Field during a day game and when there was a, a break in the action I'd look around and go wow this is pretty cool at Fenway park. I'm sitting there going, this is where Gramps played at the end of his career. So, uh, 98, I I really didn't take advantage of that. I don't really have any memories of playing with Aaron, except for he was my third baseman. And and I think if you asked him, he'd probably say the same. Yeah. I think a lot of us, uh, especially after our career, we get to sit back and say, you know what? I wish I did things differently. I wish I appreciated things differently, but I also think that watching you play, from the other dugout, I, I always said that, that he has a chip on his shoulder. Was that important for you to always be that guy that, that had that edge over the opponent? I think so. I, th- I think when I was young, you know, I, I heard the you're too small and, and I was going to show them. Then w- when I signed professionally, it was, he's an offensive second baseman. So damn it. I was going to prove to you that I was a gold glove second baseman. And I worked very hard at that. So I think that's pretty accurate. Uh, Mark, I think, especially early on in my career, the first four, five, six years, it was, I'm going to, I'm out to prove every day that I'm, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. I think as you get a little bit older, you learn to, to harness that a little bit. And once you get some experience and, and you've been there and you've done that, but without a doubt, I played, I played with that little bit of, of, uh, I want to kick your butt every day and I don't care who you are on the other side. You know, I, I didn't like having buddies that were pitchers. 
because I didn't like that little grimace on their face when I, when I was their opponent. Um, but, you know, as you get older, you soften a little bit, you get more experience. And, and, and I think through the 2000s, it wasn't as much of a chip on my shoulder uh, as it was when I was younger. I was more of a, a, you know, at that point in my career, I had learned a lot and I, and I was now, uh, you know, I got, to, I, I got to be a teammate with Edgar Martinez again. And, and now I was more into the, to the, uh, the mental side of hitting and really preparing uh, to, for each and every at bat over the course of the season. So I, I'd matured a little bit. I had a chance to sit back and laugh at that 22 year old Brett Boom, but, hmm. but thankful for the experiences that I went through that point. Well, that 98 season, your last in Cincinnati, you make your first All-Star game. And you'd mentioned earlier, a 2001 All-Star game for you was significant. And in 03, you were an All-Star with uh, Seattle while your brother uh, represented right. Cincinnati. What was that dynamic for you like in 03 in particular when you compare all the other experiences in the All-Star games? Uh, I think 03... Uh, as much as 98, I didn't really appreciate uh, the brother factor. I think 03, I, I found some appreciation for that. I was an older player. I was a veteran player. My grandfather, that was the year before he passed away. He got to be there. My dad got to be there. And I had a chance, you know, kind of as a veteran player to step back, look at that scenario and say, wow, this is really cool. I got the proudest grandfather in the world getting to experience this. I've got my dad at the game and I've got my little brother who makes his first all-star team. And, and, and it was so, so about him making his first all-star team. And I, and I didn't, it wasn't about me at all. It was, it was really a cool time to just look at it from a family perspective and really have a true appreciation of how proud I was of what my family was able to accomplish at that time. I still have that picture uh, you know, I have that that framed and up. It, it's it's just a cool moment. It's see the look on Gramps' face because I knew how important and and how proud he was of of his family, and I see it a little bit in Dad now. You know, my dad's getting a little bit older; he's seventy three, but I see a lot of grandfather in him, uh, or Gramps in him that that I saw in my grandfather, and I, and I see him watching his grandkids, and you know, he gets choked up talking about his his grandson. Whereas 20 years ago, he was a tough guy. He was too cool to get choked up. But now, I mean, Jacob will get a couple hits and, and he'll tell the story like, like, man, he just, he, he just, he, he just hit a walk off in game seven. I mean, it's, it's really cool. And it's very humbling to see, uh, you know, dad in, in his, in his later years, really appreciate. He, he just, I don't know. I, I think life is humbling. I think he's been very humble by all not only what he accomplished, but just seeing the, the rest of his family members do what they're doing now, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah, speaking of uh, accomplishments for your dad, I mean, winning a World Series, that was probably your motivation as well. You remember that because you were in the locker room with your dad, you spent a lot of time. Uh, what were the playoffs like for you, and what do you remember the most about those opportunities in the postseason? Well, I remember the first time I got to go to the playoffs was in Cincinnati, and uh, we're a real good team, 95. We ended up getting beat, uh, I, I believe, in the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, first round we beat the Dodgers, second round, ah, I forget who we got beat by. Anyway, we went home again. The, the one that was really tough, and to this day is tough, is that 01 season, because we had such a magical year in, in uh, Seattle. 
And we had handled the Yankees, I, I, I think, pretty easily that year in 2001. We, we went to the first round, and it was Cleveland, and we ended up winning three and two. Uh, went to Yankee Stadium. And that particular team, coming off 116 wins, there was I, I'd never seen fear. And, and it wasn't a matter of we're going to go in and, and battle these Yankees right now. In our, in our minds, the series was already over. Like, no, this is our year. We won 116. We just, this is what happens. We go on to the World Series. We win. We get our ring. And then, you know, we'll go back to the drawing board next year. And I remember sitting on that bus after uh, getting eliminated at Yankee Stadium and looking at the other players and going, what, what just happened there? And that was really tough for me. You know, 99, I, I, I got to go to the World Series with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, high expectations, but it was going to be a battle between us and the Yankees. We got our butt kicked in the World Series. I think, long story short, Swing, the I really have an appreciation for what it is to win a ring. And current day, I see guys taking the ring. I, I hear analysts. I hear uh, opinions of people of, oh, that wasn't the best team or or the best team didn't win. I'll tell you what, when they get their rings, the hell they didn't. This ring says I was the best team. And I really have an appreciation for how hard it is to win. I've been close a few times. Uh, a lot of great, great players never won a World Series. And, and uh, to see guys win, it, it's almost like I, I, I feel for them when they get to put those rings on because not too many people do. And, and it's a real special thing. You know, when we as fans think of that 2001 year, we think of the special statistical year you had and lost in this, I think for a lot of people is how good Oakland was that season. That team won 102 right. games, 14 back of That's you right. guys. I mean, that just never happens. It was insane with your season at 331, 37 homers, a league leading 141 RBIs. You finished third. That's shocking to me in MVP balloting third. I know it's not a selfish game. It's a team thing for you guys. But when you reflect on that season, do you ever go, holy smoke, I put up a magical year. I can't, I can't believe I finished third. Your teammate, Ichiro, picks up the hardware. Well, to this day, I'll tell Ichiro, hey, you really know that's my trophy, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, once again, things we learn in this game, things we can't control. All we can control is what we do in between the lines. You know, every year you'll see, Oh, he didn't get to go to the all-star game. He deserved it. He got snubbed. You know, he should have won the gold glove, but, but he won it. What's going on there? The silver slugger. Hey, I deserved a silver slugger, but I didn't win it. And, and quite, you know, the opposite too. Sometimes, Hey, I, I won that award. Maybe I didn't really felt in my mind I deserved it this year. So I learned throughout my career. I can't control things. I, all I can do is what I do between the lines and, and the rest is, is very subjective. And it doesn't matter what I think. Um, Ichiro had a great year. I had a great year, you know, and you can argue about who should have really won it. Um, but it's something I don't look back. I, I wasn't bitter. Yeah, of course I want that MVP trophy. But, uh, it, you know, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, I, these days, I, I really don't look for things to complain about instead of what to appreciate. And, mm -hmm. and I've, got a, I've had a pretty good life and a pretty special life to this point. And uh, stuff like that, you know, history will decide, you know, once again, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what I think anyway. It's out um, of my control. Booney, what, what's amazing is we got to watch Ichiro and, and put up and do it a different way. And, you know, slapping it to left, using his speed, coming over from Japan and having 
such a major impact on the game of baseball. What was it like for you in your lens? Well, I think he changed the game a little bit. You know, I, I think for the first time, the shortstops, second base, third basemen, uh, each road hit a routine ground ball and beat it out and had them scratch their head. Wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? And everybody talks about each row speed. He was a fast, you know, he was a fast runner. He wasn't Deion Sanders, but it was technique more than anything. And as you guys watched him hit, I mean, he's two steps out of the box at contact. Also on top of that, probably the best contact hitter when he wanted to, I've ever seen. You know, Tony Gwynn, we both got to play with, probably mm -hmm. probably the best I've ever seen. But Ichiro was right there. As far as if you told Ichiro, you're not going to strike out this bat, he's not going to strike out. I think he... He created, an, like I said, he changed the game. He changed how people defended. And he had so many ways to get a hit. And I was envious, and his teammates were envious, because we all go through those, those stretches in a season where we're in a funk. And we're going to try to find out how not to go 0 for 15, go 4 for 15. Ichiro, it, he knew if he touched it on the ground in the infield, it was 50-50. So he kind of had a slump-proof swing. And uh, like I said, very envious. A lot of guys were very envious of that. Changed the game in a lot of ways. When Ichiro came to the game, he was a charismatic, uh, very high IQ sense of humor that, that everybody didn't get to see. But behind the scenes, his teammates got to see that. Uh, I remember opening day. I, I forget who the umpire was, but he was at second base for opening day. And, and Ichiro runs out, takes his position, and I forget who the umpire was, veteran guy. And he says, Booney, what's up with your right fielder? I said, Ichiro? He said, yeah. He goes, I said, what What'd he do? He goes, he walked by me. I told him, you know, congratulations on your MLB debut. And he looked at me and he said, what's happened at home slice? And ran into right field. <laughs> and I looked at him. I said, that's Ichiro right there. And that's the, the, the Ichiro <laughs> people didn't know. He's just a funny, charismatic guy that, that especially on those early 2000 Mariner teams, uh, fit in really well. Yeah, I love hearing those type of stories to be able to have a nice blend. Um, Booney, you played 14 seasons, as Mike touched on. Uh, we focused on the Mariners, which I remember you the most in a Mariners uniform. Yes, you talked about the Reds, but you also played for the Braves, played for the Padres, back to the Mariners, and 14 games with the Twins. I got to be honest, man. I don't remember you in the no. Twins uni. Uh, what was that like just finishing your career? And what was that thought knowing that this might be the end of my career? Well, I kind of knew, uh, man, uh, we were in Seattle and it was, uh, you know, after 03, we, we, that, that, that great team uh, started to kind of dismantle. And 04, uh, you know, they designated Johnny Olerud. And after the season, Dan Wilson retired. And, and Edgar, that was his last hurrah. So the team was kind of, the writing was on the wall for me. And I had a real good run in Seattle. And every player has their time. And, and it wasn't a, a bitter time for me. It was just kind of, you know, I, I know it's probably time to move on. They're going uh, younger. There was a young second baseman named Lopez who, who I kind of helped along as much as I could because I knew I, my time in Seattle was, was ending. I didn't know how much longer I was going to play. My knees were starting to bother me a little bit. I got designated late in 05 uh, and the twins called and I'd loved hitting in the Metrodome. And, uh, you know, I signed with them. I went there and it, it just didn't work out. It just didn't work from day one. It just, it didn't click. I was having a rough year in 05 and just a change of venues. And just cause 
you know, for the bulk of my career, I had been real successful in the Metrodome. When you're going through a year like I was in 05, the, there was no magic to changing stadiums. Uh, and that that ended. Uh, I signed with the New York Mets and I went to camp and I just kind of, that was the end of the road for me. And I said that my time's up. I retired in spring training. Uh, I took off a year and I ended up signing with the Washington Nationals to give it another run because, because there were some, you know, that I needed some closure. I trained as hard as I could in that 07 offseason. I went to Washington. Uh, I was half the player I had been, but I realized I could be a part-time player. But then I looked at the Nationals, and I knew they were going to lose 100 games back then. They ended up losing 100 games. And, and long story short, uh, I went to the ma general manager at the time, Jim Bowden, who was my general manager in Cincinnati. We had a really, really good working relationship, and he kind of laid it out for me. You ready to come to the big leagues? What can you do for us? And then I thought about it, and I said, you know, I just don't think this is going to be any fun. This game is so hard uh, when you're in your prime to now go to a play team that's probably going to finish in last place. And, and it's going to be really difficult for me just to play this game at a decent level. Uh, you know, I think if the, the circumstances were, were different, I was on a contending team, a, a championship caliber team. I think I would have played in 08, but with the circumstances, I, I ended up walking away uh, for good this time, but I'm glad I did it because I had a lot of closure. And, and when I went home this time, uh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any qualms. It was like, I'm over. I know I'm done and I'm okay with it. And I can move on with my life. So it's something, uh, it was a lot of work to, to get ready for that spring training and end up retiring, but it was worth it for me for uh, sane mind. Yeah, I think that closure is important for all players, and you never know when yeah. that uniform is going to get ripped off you because you want to you want to prove to yourself you can play as long as you can because you love the passion of the game. Right. Uh, a unique opportunity is what are we going to do moving forward? But you had a glimpse of this, and I'm going to take it back to 2003 because I think this is a fascinating moment. Obviously, Aaron, your brother, has one of the biggest moments in baseball, oh. let alone the Yankees. And Joe Buck and Tim McCarver for Fox is doing the game while Aaron Boone hits the biggest home run in Yankees history, arguably. And you're in the booth with them. Can you please take me and our listeners into that moment and what happened and how you felt? Yep. It's uh, 03. We, we end the season in Seattle. We had a good good season i think we won 93 or 94 games missed the playoffs i have a really good year but i'm i am exhausted i get a call from fox you know they're going to try the third man in the booth i have i have no interest in doing it and i'm like no 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 and they're like well we'll pay you this and i said no we'll pay you this and it got to a point where i kind of can't turn that down and, and i was thinking the pros and the kinds of said the pros are i get to go to new york and boss i get to watch my little brother in the postseason and they're going to ridiculously pay me all right i'll go and i didn't take it serious at all i kind of showed up when it was time to to go on you know to go on live i didn't do my notes and you know how you are as a player it, you're different in the middle of you know coming off a big all-star season right you know you have a different perspective uh, now I tend to look at that and, and have a lot of respect for the, for all the work that goes in behind the scenes, but I was just mailing it in, you know, I'd show up at game time. Hey, let's go. You know, they'd, they'd prep me. This is what we want you to say in the open. And it was tough commentating being a current player 
because I, 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 it was a little bit of an educational process for me is, man, I can't be too critical because I got to face this guy in right. six months. <laughs> so what do I say? And sure enough, you know, Joe and Timmy are kicking it to me. The second baseman makes an error. And he says, well, Brett, what did he do there? Well, honest answer, he stinks. He should be playing left field. He's a horrible defender. My answer happens to the best of us. You know, we all kick him, and I've been there and done that. So I was juggling that, what I was going to say, and, and I got critiqued quite a bit for not saying anything. Anyway, night before I go to Aaron's apartment in New York, he's having a rough series. He had just gotten uh, traded at the deadline to the Yankees. He's having a horrible horrible postseason and he's kind of down and I kind of you know I'm the big brother I, I've got nothing to worry about I'm going to dinner and I'm you know I got to do this gig I'm, I don't know hey buddy cheer up would you stop moping in the bed and he said oh you don't know what it's like I said I don't know what it's like I've been there done that too I've, I've struggled as much as anybody and I said here's the deal Arnie and I call him Arnie I said you go to that ballpark tomorrow, you turn a big double play, you hit a sack fly in the right situation. The Yankees win tomorrow. You go to the post. No one's going to care about what you did. And uh, next day we go to the ballpark. He's not in the lineup. So now I feel as big brother, I feel really bad. So we start the game and uh, you know, the, it's starting to build. That's a big game. Wakefield comes in. I say, you know, I, I know Aaron's coming up. I think he went in as a defensive replacement. He's on deck. And all that went through my mind is, Right now, he's struggling so bad off the traditional right-hander, fastball 94, slider 86. Maybe this is what he needs, Wakefield. The opposite of what of, of us hitters like to see. You know, when Charlie Huff was pitching or Wakefield was pitching, as a hitter, I just went, come on. It's like a wiffle ball game. It's, right. it's luck. You know, I don't know if I'm going to square it up. But maybe this is what Aaron needs right now because he can't hit the regular guys. <laughs> Now, that's not what I expected. He hits that ball into the seats, and as soon as he hits it, you know it's gone. I mean, it's, it's a bomb. And I just remember standing up in that booth, and it was another one of those rare moments that I would have in the game where I was affected by the game. And I got those chills, and I didn't cry, but I remember being close. I was so happy for him because of the postseason he'd had how he was feeling. He's get, you know, Tory sits him that night. He, he hits, it all registered right away. I said, he hit the ball and I said, it's one of the biggest home runs in the history of the game right there. It happens to be Aaron who stinks right now, who we were having a powwow in the room last night. I can't believe he just did that. And I remember in my earphone, you know, the trucks down there going, what are you doing? What are you doing? No, less is more, less is more. So I'm in between and I'm not really listening to him anyway. This is really how I'm feeling at the time. I really didn't have words for him. I was just a proud brother. And I remember after that game, I would never go into an opponent's clubhouse, ever. That's just, that wasn't me. I, I hated the opponent. I hated those New York Yankees. Respected the hell out of that team and what they'd accomplished. But I, you're not my friend, especially when you have your uniform on. I had to make my way into that clubhouse that night just to give Aaron a hug. And I remember it was him and Jason Giambi, and they were celebrating. Hey, Booty, stick around. I said, I got to get out of here. But I had to come in and do that. And uh, to this day, what what a cool, cool moment. And you know what? Aaron was pretty speechless, too, and I can't blame him. I mean, that that was a magical moment through baseball. If you're watching the game, you just felt like you were there. Um, did you get to celebrate with Aaron after 
after that? You did say you went in the locker room. Any celebration after that? I think, yeah, I, I kind of left him alone. He said, we're going to have a little get together with just, you know, kind of an undisclosed location with just the players and their families after. And I did stop by. It was at, at a bar somewhere in New York. And I remember coming in and giving a toast real quick. And I said, uh, and it's all the Yankees. So I'm feeling, you know, I'd, I think I'd had a few beers at the time, so I was okay. But I remember standing up in the chair and I said, ladies and gentlemen, for one night and for one night only, I am proud to say that I am Aaron Boone's brother. And everybody cheered. I got off the table. I said, I got to get out of here. Congratulations, buddy. Have a great night. And I left. But th that's what I remember of that. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Booney, so uh, all of that and being in the booth, you have to start realizing, you know, what is next for me? What do I want to do? Because this game's been so great to me, uh, honoring my grandfather, Ray, honoring my dad, Bob, knowing... I have to do something in baseball. It's been my life. What is next for you? Well, that's, that's a great question. And it's something, you know, like a lot of people, when they get out of the game, uh, they go right into something else. I wasn't one of those guys. I, I thought when I walk away from this game, and I remember retiring after, uh, after my Washington spring training, and I just thought, I'm going to go off in the sunset. And, and I can't play second base anymore, and I don't want to be around this game anymore. Uh, well, that's changed in, in 10 or 12 years since then. Uh, I did a little stint with the Oakland, with the Oakland A's in, in 2014 and 15 on the minor league side. I really enjoyed that. But I was missing a lot of time uh, away from my kids and, and their years and watching their baseball games. So uh, I just did that for two short seasons. Uh, and I kind of haven't done anything. Now I'm getting back on, on this side of the, you know, doing this side of the mic a little bit. I'm doing some, you know, some, some, uh, some analytical work here and there. I got the podcast going and who knows, but I definitely want to get back into the game. It, it's my passion. It's, it's what I love, whether I'll be on the field one day or not. I don't know. That may be in my future, but right now I'm kind of just kind of revving up again and, and, uh, Starting to starting to break down baseball and, and watching this game in 2021 and, and how is it different from our time? How is it as much as it's different in a lot of ways these days? Uh, baseball is still baseball. So, yeah, you're going to see me in one capacity or the other, but but I'm definitely going to get back involved in the game. Hey, you glossed over it, but I want to make sure our listeners are aware of that podcast you're working on. What was the genesis of that? Why are you doing it? And tell us what it's all about. Well, just getting back into it, uh, you know, my, my agent told me, he said, you, you got to get some reps and let's start working on something. Let's do a podcast. And that's how it started. And, and I was really uh, hesitant to do it. I, I, I was kind of resistant to it. Like, I don't want to do that. I've never interviewed anybody before. So, you know, I got my first couple interviews and I got, I got Griffey Jr. And we did that. And, and then I started learning and, and, and I have some guys, we got a great team working with me at the podcast that really helped me maneuver and, and formulate my, my interviews. And as time goes on, I, I just really started to enjoy it and, and gotten a little better at it. I like to think uh, I'm a work in progress, but I've had a lot of fun with it. And it's, you know, I've had some, some great guests and it's kind of, kind of getting a little bit bigger growing as, as we speak, but uh, you know, I don't know where it'll take me eventually. But uh, it's, it's been an educational process uh, more than anything else, but I've also in, enjoyed doing it. 
Yeah, and a, a tremendous, a tremendous guess. And I, I think that's what really resonates with me. Uh, it's an important. It's important to uh, have a good listen. What's another uh, important aspect to you, Booney? I know this because uh, we, we've known each other for a long time. Being a dad and, and having that luxury of, of being a dad to Savannah, your daughter, uh, Isaiah and Judah, and Jacob now is in the minor leagues with the Washington Nationals. What's that been like trying to monitor that after uh, your career ended? Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it's something that, as we all know as dads, man, it can be frustrating at times. And and I had, uh, you know, my daughter. You mentioned Savannah, who's twenty five. She's out in the she's out in the real world now, doing very well. I don't have to worry about her anymore, except for when she calls, she needs a little extra cash. Uh, <laughs> Jacob's kind of, you know, finding his way. He's got his own group of buddies and now he's a professional baseball player. I come, you know, and get to enjoy him. He just graduated from Princeton. I'm very, very proud of him for that. Um, and then I got the knuckleheads, Isaiah and Judah about to turn 17. And, uh, you know what they are? They're, they're about to turn 17 year old kids. What you'd expect. I kind of was spoiled, uh, with Jacob and Savannah. They were such easy straight A students, but these twins are kind of more like Brett Boone when he was 16 and 17, you know, <laughs> challenging mom and dad. But I'll tell you, it's uh, I've truly in these last four or five years really come to appreciate being a parent, being a dad, realizing how important that is for our kids to be there for them, support them in whatever they may do. Uh, I'll tell you, it, it kind of puts life into perspective. And when this life gets going too fast, we tend to think certain things are more important than others. And, and this has really gave me some time to be with my kids on, on a daily basis, round the clock. And, and really, I don't know, it, it just kind of puts life into perspective. It's what is important first and foremost, all the accolades, my family, what they've done professionally, that's all really cool stuff. But at the end of the day, being the best dad I can be is the most important thing for me. Number one job, number one job. It's your legacy, right? Your legacy after all is said and done. Brett Boone, third generation big leaguer, great guy. 14 seasons in the league, three-time All-Star, four gold gloves, couple of silver slugger awards. Also, folks, don't forget, check him out. It's called the Boone Podcast. You really don't want to miss it. Great guest list. And uh, Brett, great to catch up with you. Thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, thanks for checking out Major League Beginnings presented by Bet Online. And if you had as much fun as we did, please go ahead, hit the subscribe button anywhere you usually download your podcast from. You pick the platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.